everyone. Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we are already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. For too long, adoptees have not been the authors of our own stories. That's changing, and this month we're joining the discourse to be part of that change. Together with BIPOC adoptees, we are reclaiming our narratives by honing in on specific areas of the BIPOC adoptee experience that need to be amplified right now. This is a brave space for adoptees to share with the world what we know is needed both inside and outside our community. These are the BIPOC adoptee conversations. My guest today is a transracial adoptee born and raised in Wyoming. They are an artist, writer, advocate, and library worker and they currently live in the Pacific Northwest with their husband and fur children. It is an honor and my privilege to welcome Lisa McClellan to the show. Hey, Lisa, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me, Patrick. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. We were just having a really lovely conversation off air before we hopped on mic. And I know that we've been connected on Instagram for a while, just to give a little mm-hmm. background context to our audience out there. And it really means a lot because I know you've been a big supporter of mine as I've been navigating this space uh, in this journey for probably the last three years. I feel like we connected a long time ago. Yes, and so definitely. I wanted to get on record and just share my appreciation and my gratitude to you for being someone that has supported me, being a person who has been part of this community with me as I've went on this journey, particularly in in the parts and stages that I find myself in now. So thank you. And it is very, very exciting. And again, a privilege to be able to have this conversation with you today. Well, thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And (laughs) um, yeah, just uh, having this platform, um, encouraging its adoptees to share their stories. It's taken me a really long time to feel brave enough. Sure. I'm sure I'm not sure I even still <laughs> quite there, but uh seeing bravery in other adoptees sharing their stories, sharing their lives, um, like you do, it's it's something that's helped me kind of get to the point I'm at. So I really appreciate you as well for, you know, kind of stepping up and being brave and showing me personally that I can kind of have that bravery as well, I guess, and how impactful the stories could be. Knowing how impactful they've been for me, it's really kind of helped me and encouraged me to share my own story as well, just knowing that I've been impacted. So hopefully my words can impact someone else as well. A hundred percent. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's the thing that we've talked about on the show before is how for a long time we never had spaces of safety to even just learn or unpack our stories or understand who we are at a, at a core level. And once we find it, it can take a long time still even to work through safety to get to a point of bravery to even start sharing. And, you know, it's a huge privilege to share any part of your life with any one person. And we take that for granted a lot of times in this country, in this society, in the world that we currently live in. And, you know, I just realized over the past three years of doing podcasting and sitting in community with other adoptees specifically who have felt safe and and brave enough to share their stories with me and with us on the John Chi Show. It's something that I don't take lightly. So it means a lot for me for you to share that. Um, not only about the impact of my personal work, but just the impact of the community (laughs) itself and the stories that are out there. And I'm really excited to dive into this with you today to learn a little bit more about you and what you think is missing from this conversation that we're having right now about the BIPOC adoptee experience. Before we answer that question, though, I introduced you just a little bit. 
But for folks who are listening who may not know who you are specifically, do you mind sharing just a little bit more about yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure no one knows who I am. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, yeah, so I'm Lisa. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Let's see. Uh, I guess a little bit about my backstory. I have recently found a lot about my biological background. Um, mm. That's very recent to me in the last uh, maybe five years, probably. Okay. Um, I was the kid who grew up, I think I was so sure I would never meet anyone in my biological life or circle that I convinced myself I didn't want to. Um, mm. if, if you would have asked me even probably 10 years ago, I would have said, no, no, I don't even care. You know, I just I was so sure I couldn't have it that I just really from childhood convinced myself I, I didn't need that. I didn't care where I came from. You know, it was like trying to not disappoint myself before. Sure. <laughs> anyway, so it turns out uh, I, I've known my whole life growing up that I'm biracial. So I have a white mother, a black father. Um, I found out a little bit later in life that my biological mother was actually sent to sort of um, a home for unwed mothers is the best way I could mm. describe it. Um, I was born in the late 70s. So um, I especially think, you know, being an unwed mother at that time was frowned upon. I mean, I think in obviously in certain cases here now today in 2023, that is still <laughs> frowned upon. So um, my Biological family is from Nebraska. Uh, they sent my biological mother to Cheyenne, Wyoming to give birth to me um, partially. And this is something I wanted to talk about today was um, not, I shouldn't even say partially. A hundred percent. They sent me away because I was black. So mm. my biological mother, I you know, shared with her family that she had, you know, was impregnated by a black man. And their kind of immediate response was, well, I mean, I'm sure part of it was her age and maybe and part of it was, um, again, the just the uh, optics of an unwed mother. Uh, but I have talked with a biological like maternal auntie and she has confirmed to me what I've kind of known my whole life is that my race is the reason I was relinquished from my family. So, yeah, I was raised in a family in Wyoming. Um, I have two white parents. I have a white sister who's the biological child of my parents. And I have a brother who is not biologically related to me, but who is also uh, biracial black and adopted. Okay. So I did have a sibling um, growing up, uh, which is all, honestly another part of the conversation I think is interesting. And maybe we sure. don't talk about enough um, kind of interfamily dynamics and those of us maybe raised with uh, another adoptee in the family, either of the same race or a different race and how right. those family dynamics can work. But uh, I moved out to the Northwest kind of right after high school. I was ready to leave Wyoming. I have a, a deep, deep love and affinity for Wyoming, I think, because it's one of the only things I have like ownership over. Like I was mm. born there. I yeah. was raised there. I feel this connection to it because of that. But it's also Wyoming, so I don't care for the politics. Sure. Um, there's not just a lot of opportunity there in general. Uh, I feel kind of lucky. I was raised in Cheyenne, which is really close to the Colorado border. So I was mm. able to go to like Denver a lot growing up and like kind of visit a city <laughs> and, you know, kind of sure. a little bit see something else. But um yeah, so I moved to the Northwest right away after college and or after high school and um, went to college out here. Uh, I actually have a master's degree in environmental chemistry, which I do not use. And instead, okay. I love books and I love reading and I love sharing that. And I uh, my mom was a school teacher and I was 
raised like reading and going to the library. I mean, I spent hours and hours like nerd all the way at the library. <laughs> Proud of it. Uh, so I switched to library work and I've been doing that now for a while and absolutely love working at a library. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And yeah, yeah. you said that you've been going through all of this within the last five years. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you first entered into this like consciousness of your identity as an adoptee specifically? And if yeah. that has all coincided with this journey through your biological and first family revelations uh-huh. that you found, or if one came very distinctly before the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I've always, you know, my whole life adoption was a huge part of my identity. I, mm. um, feel like because my parents, I mean, as a transracial adoptee, you can't hide the fact that you're adopted. Right. Uh, your perception of yourself and people's perceptions of you are really very early. <laughs> you know, you start yes. to perceive those things a lot earlier than I think maybe other children do. But um, I think because I couldn't hide it and because I couldn't face the fact that I kind of, and by kind of, I mean, I did hate it. I couldn't even speak those words until probably a year ago, but um, I decided to just embrace it, right? Just full on. I would be like, I'm adopted. I would like pop through rooms and like talk about it before <laughs> it came up kind of thing. And sure, then I just sure. told myself, I'm just going to be the ambassador for adoption because okay. I, I can't hide it. I, I can't, you know, so I just depressed every other emotion I had towards it and was like, well, this is it. This is what's happening. So I'm doing it. That's kind of how I treated it up until I was, uh, I'm going to say in my thirties, I'm 43 now. So this was around the age of about 38 uh, that I started thinking, honestly, what kind of kicked it off a little bit is an author, Nicole Chung. Mm. Um, Her first book, All You Can Never Know. I read that book and I, I do attribute a lot to her and Rebecca Carroll, uh, Surviving yep. the White Gaze, which came along a little bit later. But uh, reading Nicole's book, and she details her kind of finding her first family and her experiences as an adoptee, uh, it kind of got me thinking about more about finding my first family. And I had mm. already done um, 23andMe, partially and mostly because I wanted to know something about my health Sure. History, right? Like I'm getting close to 40. So I start thinking like, oh, right. it wouldn't be the worst thing to know some <laughs> of this information. <laughs> and um, I also, because, I mean, you can see me, I am what I like to describe as ethnically ambiguous. Sure. I always identified as black my whole childhood. My mom told me, you know, I had had a black father, biological father. So that's how I was always identified. But through my life, I've had people ask me, quite literally, if I'm probably any race you can imagine. I mean, from Asian, Native, I mean, just really people are like, have asked me every single thing. Sure. <laughs> so With I was no shame like, on their own part. They're just like, oh, no. hey, let me just assume what you are. <laughs> Zero ask shame. you directly to your face. <laughs> Zero shame. They're like, what are you? Question. I'm like, what? How is that? Who do you? <laughs> Uh, or I also got a lot of, how are you so tan? I don't, mm. I'm, I'm failing to understand how you're so tan. Like, Jeez. okay. Wow. Uh, so it, I think just to quiet the, 
you know, those voices in my head saying like, are you really black? You know, you, it, it's a something I think we've talked, the adoptee community talks about obviously, but identity, transracial right. adoption, how that's related. Um, so even though I always identified that way, you, you know, you still have that voice saying like, right. are you? And even if you are, you're transracial, you know, so I just, I kind of wanted that information and I'm, again a scientist so it was like give me some data like i want to see that data (laughs) (laughs) so that's part of it right when it health information what so after reading nicole chung's book i um decided i was like i'm gonna reach out to you know someone in this list of it's like ten thousand relatives you have out to your 800 right (laughs) 14th cousin and so uh, i reached out to this woman and she I explained the situation and she very kindly is like, well, I don't know anything about this, but I do think I know who would. And so I'm going to reach out to them and I'll get back to you. And sure enough, she reaches out to um, a woman who is my maternal, biological maternal auntie. Mm. She knows the whole story. She's the oldest of this family. And so she does want to be in touch with me. And um, I learn all this information from her. Mm. about uh my past or my i should say my biological family first family and their past uh they were unsure exactly who my biological father was uh Mm. but after sending her a picture of me she was like oh i know who it is it's this person dang (laughs) so yeah so i look and i have actually shared a picture of myself and my biological father on instagram um Mm. we look I'm like a carbon copy of this man. It's pretty interesting. My the genes are just I look nothing like my biological mother's side. I don't see any, but I look carbon copy. So after finding out who my biological father was, and I can say honestly, I was a lot less interested in my biological mother's side because for me, the quotient like the quota of white people and whiteness I had in my life was overflowing. I was right. like, I get it. I have all the white family I could ever imagine or need to be honest (laughs) so what i'm interested in is like this side of me that i feel like was robbed from me like i have this right to know about my black culture i identify as black i want to know more about that and like where where did i come from where were we part of the great migration i just had all these questions and i know all this history and i just wanted to know where i fit in with that uh so after finding out this man's name i actually um just started doing like facebook instagram stalking yeah and uh located what turns out to be um i have six biological cousins they're all black women Mm. five of them are biracial black women Mm. um three of them actually live in the same area as me (laughs) like grew up in this area that i moved to later in life and so um i've now been in touch with all of them i spent time with them and i actually just received again the data that I'm genetically related to them. One of them did 23andMe, finally. Oh, okay. And I got this confirmation. Um, literally, this was like yesterday or two days ago. And I wow. told all of them, like, I know we're all like carbon copies of each other. Like, literally, we have a picture together where it's like, like cut, slight, edit, paste, basically. <laughs> but I was like, I just, again, I wanted this data. I wanted, you know, being an adoptee, it's not kind of enough to sure. have those looks. People could look alike. I don't always know. speculation because yeah. we don't really know. We don't have that hard data, like you said, you know. Yes, exactly. So that was really important to me. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've just finally confirmed, like, I know biologically who these people are. Um, and I, a lot of it just came from Nicole Chung's book from just realizing I I did have a desire to know this part of me and to know specifically 
that kind of black side of me, the the part of me that I've identified with more so my whole life anyway. Well, first off, shout out to Nicole Chung, uh, multiple mm-hmm. times referenced on this show, uh, helping so many adoptees like navigate their journeys in so many different ways. Okay, I have so many questions that I want to <laughs> ask you, and I'm, feel free to not answer if you don't want, if it's oh. too fresh. But you said like you just got this confirmation of mm-hmm. biological relation. How mm-hmm. are you feeling? I will say because... I have been in contact with these uh, biological cousins now for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. they had already open armed, like folded sure. me into their family, which was so sweet. It, it, they when I first talked to one of the cousins, she instantly I, I was straight up with her and said, I have no DNA proof of this. But here's X, Y, Z, why I think this. She and I chatted over, um, you know, Google Meets or whatever the first time that we interacted. And she was like, nah, you're definitely part of the. I see it. You <laughs> I see I have apparently similar mannerisms to my sure. biological father. And I, again, like I said, I look just like him. I look a lot like, you know, all of these women. So they were already like, we accept you. Yay. Um, so honestly, finding out the DNA stuff didn't change a lot for me because I've just. I'm so lucky and felt so sure. welcomed by them already. Uh, but I will say one of the tough things I had was meeting their father, who is mm. my biological father's brother. Sure. So I know my biological father has wants nothing to do with me. He's stated mm. that. So it felt weird for me to meet his brother, right. who open arms accepted me and like immediately gave me a hug and... But I, it took me a long time to want to meet him. So I actually only met him probably a month ago or so because it took okay. so long. They kept kind of inviting me to meet him. And I was like, I don't know. Sure. Totally. And it turns out he was nervous, too, which kind of made me feel better about it as well. But um, I don't, in general, it has made me feel really good because this is a whole side thing. But both of my adoptive parents now have passed away. And my okay. mom most recently in a, a little over a year ago. So this is a whole other thing, but the feeling of disconnection from my family left or losing my parents sure. is really complicating. And so having this other kind of new family, not to replace my my family, right. but it was just like a, this really well-timed almost right. thing to start to feel this disconnection from my adoptive family. Losing my mom was like still very devastating to me. And so it's been really you know, nice to have this whole other family, sure. you know, coming up and accepting me. And that's been a very of complex feelings for sure. But it's been mostly, I would say, good for sure. And I think we'll continue to, as I develop relationships with them, continue to feel good because they've all just been really accepting, really wide open arms. And yeah. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that, for sharing as much about this as you have in a very short period of time, because like you just said, it's a whole range of complex emotions and feelings and thought processes that I can't even begin to imagine not being in reunion with any part of my first or biological family in any way. And even just very much on the at the beginning stages of even pursuing anything like that. And like yourself, you mentioned at the very beginning how you felt resigned for a long time to the fact that you're never going to get that information. And I feel like I've been, been that way for even since I started this journey three years ago, but also leading all the way up to that, I'm like, I'll never 
I'm never going to have that information. I don't even know if I want it. And then I started this journey and I'm like, okay, I would love to have that information, but I've heard enough stories now where it's like, that seems pretty far afield from reality. And I'm okay because I know I'm not the only person that's going through it. And then I have this experience in Korea and now I'm like, I'm like angry about it now. And there's like a whole bunch of other things that have come up and it's like, Oh, I do want this information. And I think I've just been repressing the feeling of wanting that, you know, for all the different reasons. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. There's so much that I'm resonating with. And because that anger, the anger is real too. Like the anger meeting these people now and feeling so angry that I didn't have all the years with them. Like I love, I meet these people. I'm loving all these women. And I'm like, I could have grown up with you. You know, like that 100%. makes me so mad. Okay, well, so let's, okay. <laughs> well, let's dive in. Let's dive into that then, especially in the wake of movies like Joyride, which deal mm-hmm. in a reunion plotline and a burst searching yes. plotline. Um, there is this, I think, this drive and this hunger and desperation from our community to have these stories told correctly. And I think there are mm-hmm. a lot of things that people just don't understand about that particular journey. So from your perspective, Mm -hmm. what do you think is missing from that conversation around reunion, around the, even the thought of wanting to reunite or look for or find any information, let alone actual reunion with a biological family? What do you think is missing from that conversation? Oh man. I, I mean, I think what was surprising to me and I didn't expect, um, and I feel like I haven't necessarily, I mean, I think the reunification, vacation conversation, there's a lot missing just because so much, so many of us haven't been in reunification. Like that is a lot of work. There's so much privacy around adoption, um, particularly, obviously internationally, but even domestically, I'm from a completely closed state adoption. Wyoming is completely closed state. So I may never see my original birth certificate. You know, I would have had to go go through all of this confidential immediate, you know, so I think a lot of us are not going to have a reunification. And so that some of that conversation just isn't there because so many of us don't have it and are not going to have it. Sure. Um, but one of the main things I was surprised about was just how mad and and I suppressed. I mean, I think I've suppressed a lot of emotions about things my whole life, but uh, I suppressed, I think, that anger. I, I mean, or mm. I, I guess I didn't even realize how angry I was about it. Sure. Honestly, until I saw um, some of my biological cousins like interacting with each other and I could Mm. see all that history that they had with one another. Mm. And I was so aware that I was never going to be able to have that. Like there's no way I can go back in time and grow up with these people and know them my whole life. Right. And yes, I have other cousins that I've grown up with and known my whole life, but they're not my biological relations. Right. We don't share that same ancestry. I think even that aspect, the importance of ancestry, um, I never thought about how important it was to listen to my body, how what I carry inside of me is my ancestry. What I mm-hmm. carry inside of me is my past. And we're taught to ignore those signals. I think right. we're all kind of taught that, but particularly adoptees, you almost are, have to ignore all of these signals your body's telling you because you, you, you're placed in strangers' homes and you're right. trying to just be part of the family. You know, you, you want that. You want a family. You want to be part of this family. Right. So, you know, you just ignore 
all of these signals and all of these things that your body might be sharing with your, your, that I, I believe, you know, comes from generations, you know, I mean, it's like proven now things about generational trauma. And right. I just feel like I don't share that with my family because we don't have the same biology and the right. importance of that. That that was all just very shocking to me to, to see those relationships and be like, man, you know, I'm never going to have that. I'm so mad that I can't go back in time. And yeah. yes, I have the future. Sure. I will continue to put an effort. I want to have relationships with all these women. Um, but yeah, I, I just can't. And it's I can't still get not back the same. That. Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I can't. It's that familiarity that I'll, you know, kind of probably never have. It won't ever be the same. Yeah. yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I have been dealing with something similar after my experience in Korea with that anger and that and this concept of a loss of history, and especially when you're talking about ancestry and then like personal lineage, like I can't just look yes. down my line and see who my parents were, who their parents were. I can't trace my family back to or my specific bloodline back to this clan mm -hmm. who came from this area of career, whatever it was, you know, I don't have any of that. And like, that's where a lot of my anger is coming from. And for you specifically in your experience, you have this added layer of, I, I mean, I think it makes so much sense that that anger is there anyways, because oh. it's e that anger is something easy to suppress because we're told, especially as adoptees to not be angry, like, and to be grateful, to lean into that uh -huh. gratitude feeling, which it, it is the antithesis, I think of anger. And so we repress a lot of that. And so okay. it makes sense that that's there. Also, for you, you have this other layer of knowing, too, that you were relinquished based on your race uh -huh. specifically. Uh -huh. And you uh -huh. grow up and, and seeing that you have not only these six cousins that are all black women, but five of them are also biracial, uh -huh. like yourself, who uh -huh. share in that identity and realizing, too, oh, I not only lost this familial sense, this familiarity that we could have built, but literally I had these people in my life who could have been these models for me and could have helped me understand myself and to live into this identity. Not that you didn't develop that on your own, but well, again, like you said, you know, like you can't go back in time and then do right. that, do it over again. We have to now yes. start from where we are. And so yes. can you talk a little bit yes. about how that plays into this whole thing, how that relinquishment based on race specifically plays mm -hmm. into this conversation and how it's something that we tend to maybe not talk about enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I think part of why we probably don't talk about it a lot is that it's obviously not everyone's experience. Like specifically sure. I'm biracial or it, this could be specific to someone who's biracial or multiracial, you know, so there's that part of it. Um, but I will say again, back to anger. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I was always angry that I was adopted. Um, like I say, now I can say, and it took me a long time to say, but I hate that I'm adopted. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't face that for so long. Sure. Um, but, you know, when I was young, it's not like my parents ever said to me, look, you were given up because you're black. But what they did say to me a lot was, we don't, we didn't care what race you were. We didn't mm. care what race you were. And even I had some covers, some hard conversations with my mom before she passed away. And she still would say that kind of stuff to me. Like she sure. still would say, and I know her intention was not to make me think one way or the other. Right. But as a kid, I'm hearing you say, you don't care what race I was, but that indicates to me someone cared. So right. even though no one explicitly told me that as a child, I grew up 
a hundred percent knowing, I mean, thinking, but, but knowing I was given up because I was black. So to have it confirmed later, I thought was going to make he, maybe make me feel better about it or something like, ha I was right. Sure. But instead I was like, so mad. Yeah. it just obviously made me so much more angry and angry at my biological mother's family, like kind of specifically. Um, I actually cut off any kind of communication with my maternal side at this point mm. because I was so angry and um, the maternal auntie that I was talking to always would say things to me like, you're so lucky that Ugh. you were adopted, etc. Yeah, she actually just sent me this email that I was trying to tell my husband about, but then I was like, I feel like you just have to read it because it's so weird. Like, sure. she details how I'm lucky and how I probably would have been sexually abused if I had stayed in there. Just, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like, I, I'm <laughs> just like, why do you keep emailing me? <laughs> right. Like, that's your trauma that now you're, I don't know. It was just a very odd situation and she doesn't seem to quite understand and this is part of why I don't, really want to communicate with her because I certainly don't need someone telling me from the family that gave me away because of my race that I'm lucky for that right. when she doesn't know. She doesn't know what could have happened to me had I stayed in their family. She doesn't know my apparently my biological mother is has a lot of like issues and I'm like, maybe I would have been the thing that got her shit together. You don't right. know. Like th there's just no reason to tell me that you you shouldn't speak on adoption if you're not adopted. Don't go right. around telling adoptees were lucky or to be grateful or and so that just makes me even more mad to think about but um i also learned this just enraged me at, at the time uh was that this maternal auntie i'm talking to she had a child the same year i was born white child kept i also learned that um her mother so my grandmother was pregnant at the same time as my biological mother oh wow had a child so my uncle same year, same exact age, white, kept. So they had three children born in their family that year. Two of them kept in the family, me discarded, which is just like obviously infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I interestingly think in some ways hearing that from my parents and like no, knowing that I was relinquished for being black affirmed my blackness in a way like. I've sure. thought a lot about why I was have always identified as black. I have I honestly mostly say biracial black so that um, I, I have complicated feelings about saying biracial black. But I, I mostly say it to make sure I'm expressing that I know my experiences are different from sure. someone who is not biracial. Uh, but I've always, again, identified as black. And I have always kind of wondered, like, why was I so sure about that? And I thought, you know, maybe my my mom kind of did try to affirm it. She was definitely almost embarrassingly so would wear like cross color shirts when oh, I was young okay. and just do stuff like that, that I was like, all right, my brother and I were like, mom, you gotta, <laughs> yeah, but like, she cool was like, try, yeah, 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 exactly. Get... <laughs> but, but she was, I guess, trying, you know, trying in her way. So I thought maybe it was some of that, but then I think the more I thought about it, it was that I, um, I, I knew that I was relinquished for this purpose and that, I guess, made me feel that connection and just, you know, black history. Right. That's a comp, a comp thing. Like right. what's blacker than that? You know, it's like that kind of in a weird way helped affirm that for me. Sure. Which is, which is kind of great. Not that I still don't have obviously identity issues. And um, to your point, meeting these other biracial women would have been awesome to grow up with 
you know, cousins that were also biracial and we could have, you know, I have conversations with them now about being biracial and um, living in a community that's really white and how that, you know, it just would have been nice to be able to have those conversations, you know, growing up and have um, other people to just share that experience with. Well, cause you get, learn like language about it and then you get a chance to like articulate your own thing. And then if you go through, especially a negative experience, you have somebody that you can like turn to hopefully to talk well, about so. it and who will <laughs> get it, you know, in the way that adoptees, when we meet each other, we kind of get it. We yes. don't have to go through the whole preamble of like, Oh, I grew up in a tiny white town. And like, yeah. <laughs> I had like to experience racism in this way. And people may like, you yes. know, we just, we just already understand at that level. So we can kind of really dive good. right into the deeper stuff if we want or just keep it light and breezy, whatever, yes. <laughs> whatever right. we need to do at the moment. Um, Absolutely. And also, like you said, you know, we carry you're learning about carrying our ancestry within our bodies uh-huh. and uh-huh. like that relinquishment in that trauma is foundational to you and your uh-huh. existence. And so it makes total sense that it, your identity as a black person was affirmed specifically through learning about this history because it was already, it was already there, you know, it was already foundational in you. And unfortunately through a terrible traumatic way, was it made foundational? (laughs) Right. And, and it, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was just an opportunity for you to be able to even lean into it even more because you already were. And it was Mm -hmm. just like, you know, you getting these little data points um, that allow you to be affirmed and whatever it is, whatever part of your identity that, you're working on at that time it's like i think you kind of look for those things to like grasp for 100%. as an adoptee it's like what what can i have ownership over and so 100%. hearing that i was like all right i'm taking ownership of that well like you, <laughs> you talk know? about your maternal auntie trying to dictate to you what your experience would have been or is and right. not and that's something that was missing from this conversation always is that we're all never allowed to be the author of our own story that we're always either part of the words and the page that's happening, or we are just a footnote and whatever someone else's story is, we're not allowed to be the author, the teller of our own stories. And when we do that, it really pushes back and resists this idea of what the dominant narrative of adoption is, which is that everything was fine. Or if you would have stayed with your first family, everything would have been terrible. You know, like it's it's magical thinking that a hundred percent. And her, her idea of my parents and family of which she knows very little about, you know, other than me just saying, here's facts about my family. She's like, I'm so grateful you had these loving parents and et cetera. And it's like, I did, but a lot of adoptees don't. And and right. you, you don't really know my right. experience. Like you're kind of assuming you're hoping I went to a family that was so exactly. loving and oh, oh, here I am. But I'm like, I, that's a not true for all adoptees. And B, I still have a ton of trauma you know i'm like i have anxiety my whole life depression adhd it's just like identity issues i'm like i'm from a successful adoption right and i still you know my parents loved me my mom i have i loved her dearly it's still though i was like that love (laughs) it doesn't save us or protect us from the terrible things that might be happening or the traumas associated with being adopted i resonate with that so much because i feel the same way you look at my mm-hmm. life and it would be like, oh, you had such a great life. You had such okay. a positive adoption experience. And yeah, okay. I did have, I do have a great relationship with my family still. I did okay. have a lot of privilege and I didn't want for things yeah. uh, from a material standpoint, especially. And then also from like a support and love standpoint from my adoptive yeah. family. Like they never made me feel different in that way, but it was colorblindness. 
it was, it oh, you're being too sensitive. You're taking that the wrong way when I expressed something that might have happened to me. <laughs> and uh-huh. it was, we don't really talk about our feelings in that way. And that didn't really mm-hmm. stop me from expressing emotion, but it didn't help yes. me develop emotional intelligence, which I would not develop for a long time. Gotcha. So I really resonate yeah. with that. Um, you mentioned at the top of this, specifically regarding relinquishment based on race as we don't really talk about it that much because it's not everyone's experience. I would also say that almost makes it more important for us to talk about it because we need to, for us in the community, we need to be at least aware of the other experiences that exist within our larger diaspora. So that way, again, we don't represent everyone every time we speak Uh or we're not the one end all be all of experiences for adoptees. Uh However, when we talk about it, we can at least be able to point to you know, there's a much more diverse community here than what is shown yep. historically in media or whatever it might be. Even data right now, it's like right. it's it's much more complex and nuanced than that. How do we as adoptees make sure that we're addressing this part of the con- conversation? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, even when I was filling out the form, I'm like, hmm. Um, I will say, I think just hopefully more and more of us sharing our story, the more that sure. we are the authors of our stories, I think the more really it can be addressed. And f- for me, it kind of brought up, um, I was thinking about, so I did the first like BIPOC adoptee here in um, the Northwest uh, storytelling event. It was in Portland. Mm. And um I shared some of my story and part of that was talking about that I was relinquished because I was black and uh, I was chatting with some adoptees afterwards. And one of the adoptees said to me, um, I mean, she kind of was like, wow, I didn't think about that, that that would be maybe a reason someone was like placed for adoption. And she was like, she just like looked me dead in the eye and was like, you deserved better than that. And I was like, <laughs> damn yeah that's like i'm about to start crying yes Dang. i was like uh and i think that's kind of what got me thinking that that would be my answer to your question of sure. like what is the missing piece is that i for one hadn't met a lot of other adoptees that have told me that same thing or, or any I'm, I'm not sure i've encountered another adoptee that that either knows that or shared that with me but i just Sure. Haven't. And I have met a fair number of like other like biracial adoptees, but, um, you know, I just hadn't had that shared with me before. Uh, so that was part of it. It's like, I want to get this out there. I'm not sure. I, you know, there's got to be other people in this scenario, but hearing from her and having her kind of say like, oh, I kind of thought of that. And then just her saying that to me, I don't know, it just really, I was like, other people in my position need to hear that too. You know, yeah. it's like, I 100%. really was like, um, oh. That's what I needed to hear. Thank you. I didn't deserve that. You right. Know? Um, so I think that's kind of part of it is like just other adoptees. Uh, like you said, we kind of almost know something about each other when we meet each other. Right. Because we have a lot of, you know, shared experience. And I guess just being able to hold space for each other like that and uh, speak truthfully, like from our hearts to each other, that to me, is I think a reason for us all to share stories like to your point that we want all of our stories out there. And I kind of just feel like when I share that, the people who I get the most affirmation from and the most, the people who hold that space for me the most or the best are other adoptees, even if that wasn't their experience. It's like, sure. 
they it was like she just knew what to say she spoke from her heart and it just you know crushed like i was just crushed with like affection and like yeah i went home that day just like feeling so good and i have struggled with my mental health a lot especially since my mom died and it's really only been since we did that storytelling event, I think it was in June. And like kind of since then, my mental health has been doing a lot better as mm. I found this community, been able to have a space, safe space to share this story. I mean, I, I what I read to them, I've only shown to um, my husband, my brother, because he's also adopted, um, one of my cousins, and then the adoptee group. I mean, I just, I, I wouldn't show it to my sister i wouldn't sure. show it to my i just it was so right you know just yeah. vulnerable and I, so i i feel like some of my mental health improvement has come from being able to share my story and have people who understand even if they don't have the exact same experience right like see me and talk to me in a way that i needed to hear so i guess to answer your question, I really just feel like we just need to hold space for each other. I, I'm a yoga teacher, so like saying things like holding space <laughs> is like something that I'm used to saying. But I mean, what I mean sure. by that is that you listen, that you see that person and you respond to them in a way that's authentic to you. To me, that's holding space for someone. So that's what I think we can do in community for each other, any of us, you know. I love that. I think that's such important advice. Shout out to that adoptee for seeing you and validating you uh, in that way. Yes. And I think yes. we one of the reasons that we're capable of doing this within our community specifically is we have fought so hard and so long to be seen and heard. And mm -hmm. we usually are met by people who are listening to respond to us and then dictate back to us what our story is or why we're wrong in our experience, as opposed to listening to understand our experience. And then, like you said, responding empathetically, responding authentically from who they are. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. by doing that, we are allowing ourselves to not only be empathetic and not to be like, I fully understand what you're going through. Like you said, right. we don't all share the same experience. Right. However, I can resonate with what you're feeling and I can also validate you in your feelings. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mm -hmm. make my experience any less. It doesn't make adoptee Joe over here any less. Right. Like it doesn't right. change anyone else's. You are just as valid as the next person standing in line to tell their story. And the yes. more opportunities that we have, which is what I love about what BIPOC adoptees have been doing is the more opportunities that we create for folks to be safe enough to start to unpack that. And then and like yourself, find those, the, the stairway of bravery to begin to share some of these things right. that we hold so closely and so personally to ourselves. And with a group of people who get it, it's how we create the change that we want to see within our own community. It's how we get people outside of our community to start recognizing us and seeing us because we have to model for them specifically right. what right. it looks like to be empathetic towards each other. Because right. Right. we're not seen as an identity. Adoptee or being adopted is not seen as something that is an identity or affects you in that way every yes. day, but yes. it does. Yes. Yes. And we are exactly. still trying to work to the point of people recognizing that. And so we have to become the models for folks outside of the adoptee community oh, cool. to see what it looks like to, to extend that kind of empathy to each other. Do you have advice for folks outside of our community to address not even just the community broadly, but even those specific pieces that we've been talking about in this conversation? 
First, I want to say I love that you just point out validation, too. I think mm. that's something that's sometimes really hard. I'm sure for anyone, but adoptees have a hard time sort of because we've always been told what our story is. And it makes it hard for us to validate our own feelings, I think, yeah. and experiences. I know that I'm constantly not validating my own feelings and experiences. Right. My ther- That's something my therapist is constantly tell me <laughs> and, and I still will start to say something like I feel this way and I'm almost I have to stop myself from being like I mean I know other people feel I mean I know this could happen to someone else she's like just stop what are you it's like tell me what you're feeling and I I think that's huge that uh, adoptees we validate each other we we I hear like things you shared and it resonates with me and it validates how I'm feeling and mm. that is so huge I think that's like Nicole Chung's book R- Rebecca Carroll's book reading those was that's the best way to put it is that I finally was like I'm feeling validated right now Mm. I'm reading from someone else experiences they had feelings they had things that they're sharing and that actually made me feel validated so I just want to say I love that you said validation um and I kind of think people outside the adoptee community I mean basically what they need to do is like shut the mouth (laughs) (laughs) and open the ears you know like you need to Listen to us. Yeah. Let me tell you yeah. my experience. Don't tell me what my experience is. Don't tell me I'm lucky, grateful. It's all the things we've heard. Um, just shush, like, shush. We, <laughs> like, we would like to speak now. And, and I think this about mm. how the laws are made. Um, in addition to, like, foster care, I, I work with foster youth, and I'm blown away at the way these laws are written and the, you know, the processes and it's so clear to me that foster youth and adoptees have not been in on those conversations and have right. not been in those rooms to write those laws. And I, I just, it, it blows my mind every time I kind of see these experiences where I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that already. You know, it, it'll be like a non-adoptee or non-fostered person being like, we found that having familiar relationships is really good for this foster child. And I'm like, you, you just, <laughs> <laughs> you just figured that out oh cool like i'm so happy you guys figured that out but if you right. could have just asked someone anyone over 50 here years yeah. ago <laughs> who was fostered you would have already had this answer you know right. um so yeah i i mean i would think they they need to take a seat and it, those decisions all of those laws being written whatever it is should be in our hands um the stories written should be by us Um, I mean, it definitely reminds me and to your point that we're like another identity. It's like, you know, I work in a library and I'm quick to not display a book that's written about a black person. I'm going to display a book written by a black person. Right, right. I'm not going to display the book written about adoption, not by the adoptee. I'm going to find the one written by the adoptee and put it out. I I know there that's that's the story I want to hear. I, I want to have this Korean cookbook written by someone that's Korean. I don't right. need that. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, it's blows my mind. <laughs> I see that stuff in yeah. the library and I'm like, who wrote this? They want now, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think really that's what they need to do. And I, I see it. I, I know that there's a capacity there. I, I see it with my husband. He is not adopted. He has an adopted sibling. She's a Korean adoptee. Mm. And he, you know, it's part of when I met him, I was so, Part part of my attraction to him was him telling me he had an adopted sibling because at least mm. then I didn't have to explain to him 
yeah, it's my real mom. Yes, sure. it's my real sister. You know, he he got all that, right? Yeah. But over the years, and especially as if I've been coming out of the fog and, you know, kind of figuring my own identity out, he listens. He just listens. He doesn't tell me my business. Right. He listens to what I'm saying. He's listening to the experiences I'm going. He watches me go through these experiences and he just listens. I mean, I and supports whatever it is I want to do. Like our next storytelling event, part of it will be open to the wider group. And mm-hmm. he's like, do you want me to come? He's not even in the house right now because he was like, do you want me to be there oh, while wow. you're talking to Patrick or do you want to do that on your own? And it's like he I said, it's going to be a podcast. I mean, you can be here, but he's like, oh, you know, I'll just listen to it later or whatever. You know, he's like he just wants me to be talking for me, yeah. not worried about anything else. Sure. And I think that that's a- another thing people can do. I think if you're outside the community support, let me let us make those decisions of how we want to approach something. Exactly. Support us you know, listen to us, support us, but don't write the story for us. Exactly. We'll tell you how you can help us and how you can support us. You, We don't want you to tell us what the solution is or how to fix us. We don't necessarily exactly. need fixing. We need no, people exactly. to listen. We need people uh-huh. to sit and make the attempt at understanding, build that layer of empathy. So that way we can move <laughs> forward instead of putting on these performances of allyship that don't go anywhere but cause yes. more harm. So. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so, so, so much appreciate everything that you shared in this conversation. And you have taken us on this journey of not only your personal story, but as like an educator, educated a lot of us, myself included, about a lot of these different nuances within this conversation in a, a, a scant 50 minutes. And I can't thank you enough for giving us the privilege of that emotional labor, that mental energy, that physical time to be able to impart all of this on myself, on this audience. It means a lot for you. Who are you learning from right now? Who, who is inspiring you? Who are you taking new perspectives from? Who's helping you reframe what you're thinking about? Who are you learning from at the moment? Uh, You know, I feel like library uh, nerd (laughs) as I am. Um, It's kind of for me, like almost always authors. I mean, not always. I, again, love podcasts. I love listening to stories. I I love storytelling, whether it's really honestly, you know, spoken or read. Right. Um, I'm also an artist. So I love, love, love graphic novels. Mm. And I love um, there's graphic novels out that are amazing that are written by transracial adoptees. Um, Locally here at the last storytelling event, um, I met a woman, uh, Jill Mann, I believe. Mm. And she writes these little um, adoption zines okay. and I wish I had one to like show, but, uh, <laughs> it, they're just great. She takes these stories and she just, you know, draws them out into like a little, basically small comic. And they're just amazing. I, there's something for me about the visual with story, with sure. the storytelling. It's like, it, it's words, it's visual. It's so I, I just, it, I learn so much anytime I'm reading these things, looking at these things. So, Lisa Woolrim Chung, mm, I think is yep. her name. She wrote a uh, Palimpsest War. I mean, it is a hard read in yeah. so many ways, but it educated me so much personally on transnational, international adoptions. Mm, that is something yeah. I really didn't know anything about. Um, like I said, my sister-in-law is a Korean adoptee. Uh, she's in a totally different place in her kind of adoption journey. So it's not something she and I had talked a lot about. And mm. Um, I don't 
think she knows a lot about um, her kind of past and how she ended sure. up in the U.S. You know, she just hasn't really gone through the through that. Wanted to learn any of that information, know any of that information. So I just thought, like, I'm going to read this. Yeah, I love graphic novel. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited to find this graphic novel. I'm reading it. I'm literally like <laughs> crying. I'm like, I can't even. What? Yeah. It's so great. It's so educational. Um, it got me more into learning about transnational adoptions. Um, and now I am much more aware of that. Um, mm. I'm conscious of that when I meet uh, even like foster youth that might have been adopted sure. and now in foster care or um, meeting other adoptees and kind of understanding um, a little bit where they come from. Because to your point, it's like so many similar experiences, but also so different. Very and I different. think yeah. I, I, I don't think I wrapped my brain around how strange it could be for someone to feel like, I mean, I'm so mad that I was taken away from my black culture it, you know, in the U.S. Right. I can't imagine thinking, you know, I don't know this language and I don't, there's, there's just so sure. many other, I think, uh, obviously depth <laughs> you would understand to this that uh, her book really opened my eyes to and learning just more about different countries and how they treat adoption and who's allowing adoption still, who isn't and right. some of those things. Um, but I highly recommend to anyone watching, listening to this her book really touched me like deeply and she's an amazing advocate and activist. And, um, yeah, she's, she's amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing those. Uh, we will have Jill zines linked in the show notes. We will have Lisa's all of her work linked in the show notes yeah. as well, as well as Nicole and Rebecca's books linked in his show notes too. So that way everybody can take a look at those if they so choose. I really appreciate you sharing that again, because, You've done this education for us, and it's important for us to learn who you're learning from. So that way we can continue to expand our own knowledge and understanding of this experience, of which there are infinite experiences to learn from. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so uh -huh. I really, really, really appreciate it. And before we close it out, I have one more question, one final question for you. Yeah. How do we, how do we as an audience support you going forward? Oh, wow. Uh, great question. I don't know. That's a great <laughs> question. Um, someday I would like to write a graphic novel or start doing kids books. Okay. So someday everyone, I would love for you to buy my <laughs> books if, uh, possible. All right. Is there a way so, we can yeah. send you money right now as like a pre-order support to help oh, you ooh. in your pursuit of That's that? That's so sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. Um, no, I... I'm like a person. I have a really hard time accepting like. Oh, I know. I know that feeling I, for sure. Yeah, I, I'm like, uh, I'm just so for me, it's like very rewarding to do this for like the next generate. Like I consider mm. like all I, I was fostered also when I was young and I consider us all like siblings. Like I truly sure. like my adoptive, my foster siblings. Like to me, this is like I'm just doing this for my family. That's how it feels. So um, to support me, I would say listen to your adoptee listen to adopted people you know <laughs> that would support me read our stories by us mm. and listen to us that to me would support you know me i think amazing well you heard it here first folks you can support lisa by just <laughs> listening to our community and just yes. by 
doing that work, putting the work in to understand our experiences a little bit more, build that layer of empathy, and then one day physically supporting Lisa by buying her children's book and graphic novels (laughs) that are coming out. Lisa, thank you so, so much for coming on and again, giving us the privilege and honor of your time, your energy, your story and your experience. It really means a lot to me, especially as I said at the top, you know, having been connected with you for a while now and know that you have been a supporter of myself and the work that I've been doing. It really means a lot for you to give me this time to hopefully and truly support you going forward as well. So thank you. Absolutely. It is such a pleasure. And thank you. I just love everything you do. And um, yeah, yeah. Things that you've said have changed my life as well. So I'm just, it's awesome to be here and talking to you. So, well, I appreciate that. I got to get out of here now before I'm unable to accept your compliments because it is very hard for me to hear something like that and be like, what? Okay. I, I, I do really appreciate it. Everybody else listening out there, you can find links to all of the authors, all of the things that we just talked about in our show notes here. If you want to connect with Lisa, you can find the ways to do that in the show notes as well. If you want to connect with us, you can do so on Instagram at Conversation Pod Piece. And if you do feel so inclined to leave a rating or review on whatever you're watching or listening to this on right now, we would greatly appreciate it. Last but not least, if you're interested in supporting this show in the future in any way, feel free to hop in our DMs or visit our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you.